What an amazing week we've had and what an amazing Sunday this is to celebrate all the amazing things God has done in the lives of these kids as a result of the ministries that you all have given to to share the good news of Jesus Christ with all of the kids who had come to have fun and to worship and to play and to make human Sundays and all of these wonderful things. So we want to just take a moment and say a huge thank you to Cindy and Katie and all of the time and energy that you guys put in to make such an amazing week. Let's give them a round of applause and thank them for using their gifts to bless and minister to these kids. As they had said, today is uh, Barefoot Sunday, and uh, we are recognizing that uh, our culture, we have lots of shoes. In fact, many more shoes than we probably need. And what we realize is that there are a lot of people around the world who live every day without shoes. They go to work without shoes. They go to church without shoes. They walk around barefoot because they don't have the resources to be able to have something as simple and basic as shoes for their feet. And so for us, we thought it would be kind of fun to try living out of their shoes rather than in their shoes for a day to remind ourselves that our culture can be so different from other cultures. And yet the Christ that we worship is the same. And as we've been going through the series that we're in called Freedom, we recognize that the way we experience Christ in our culture can be different from other cultures, and we have to understand how the gospel message can be the same. And if we focus on our cultural differences, we can get in trouble by recognizing that it's really Christ and the gospel that should take central place in our hearts and in our lives. And that's what we've seen as the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the Galatian churches, We have been understanding that there's uh, a growing difference in the early church between Jewish Christians, who were the original followers of Jesus, and the increasingly non-Jewish or Gentile Christians who were coming to faith and believing that Jesus really did rise from the dead, and that the Spirit of God was available to them as well. Even though it was primarily a social and cultural difference between the Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians, what we've seen as we've gone through the letter so far is that the Jewish Christians began to appeal to what we might call a theological agenda to make their point, to, to argue their case that, that the, the way that they were recommending you do this Christian life is the right way. Now, a theological agenda is essentially appealing to God as a way of trying to convince other people to agree with you, right? The problem with appealing to God for a social or a more cultural agenda is it can get us off track because you're essentially using God or faith in God to have one group's preferences be imposed on another group all in the name of God. And as Paul argues, that's not the intent of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not why Jesus died and rose from the dead. Paul's gone to great length in beginning to tell his personal story of his experience of uh, coming to know Jesus as the risen Christ and the risen Lord. He uh, shows that his calling as an apostle and that the gospel message he received didn't come from other human beings but came directly from Jesus. And that's why he is so adamant about wanting the Galatian Christians to stay true to the faith that they have in him. Yet this morning we're going to see that he also wants the Galatian Christians to understand that Paul isn't trying to be a maverick or a rebel or to go it alone in the Christian faith. Really, in fact, he's gone to great lengths to work through this 
conflict that is emerging with the other Christian leaders as well. And so we're going to look in the second chapter of Galatians, uh, verses 1 through 10. If you want to get out your Bibles, uh, you will be there in a second. And as we go into Scripture this morning, I just want to invite you to pray with me and ask God's Spirit to, to lead us in understanding how this passage this morning might give us insight on how we can live in the freedom that Christ has given us. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we do thank you for an amazing week of freedom with these kids to sing and to worship and to play and have fun and to hear the good news message of Jesus' love for each one of us. We ask now that that same message would ring true in our hearts, that that you love us just as we are, and that because of your love, we can have freedom to pursue Christ and to pursue his priorities in the world and make him the focus of all that we say and all that we do. We ask this in his name. Amen. Picking up the letter to the Galatians in chapter 2, Paul goes on sharing his personal story about his experience with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. He says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. So Paul is getting some fellow leaders, and he's taking them with them on this trip to Jerusalem. He says, I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, the other apostles in Jerusalem. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. See, he wanted to to be sure that what he was preaching and teaching was affirmed by these other leaders. He wasn't wanting to go it alone. He wanted to be sure that they were all on the same page. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. See, for Paul, going back to the Jewish law that these Jewish Christians was advocating was like becoming a slave to to the law when we were actually set free in Christ. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who are held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, to the non-Jewish Christians, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles." James, Cephas, or another name for Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. And scholars suggest that this right hand of fellowship isn't just like a a simple handshake. It was was an agreement that they were were all on the same page, that, that God was working in Paul, and Paul had been called by Jesus, and the message that he was sharing was right and true. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and that they go to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Now, it's interesting to see how Paul engages with these leaders and how he's wanting the uh, people in Galatia to understand how important it is that in the midst of conflict, even as Christians, we can find ourselves in disagreement with each other, right? In the midst of conflict, how we go about engaging with one another and working through conflict together is an important part of the testimony of our message that we have been set free in Christ. 
See, what we see going on in this story is that our freedom in Christ leads us to maintain our shared faith together, even when we find ourselves not in agreement with one another. One of the ways we've liked to say it here at Faith Covenant Church is that the grace of Christ helps us to walk hand in hand, even when we don't see eye to eye. The grace of Christ helps us to walk hand in hand, even when we don't see eye to eye. So what can we learn from this story as Paul continues to share about his experience with the Christians in Galatia? Number one, as I'd like to say, is that resolving conflict is an important part of our life together, both in how we live together as Christians in the church, but also in our personal lives, in all of the relationships we have. Being able to navigate and resolve conflict is an incredibly important gift and skill that we need to develop. And I think as we look at this story and we kind of break it down into some easy, easily manageable steps, we can see four things that we can easily apply to any situation we find ourselves in that will allow us to navigate conflict with grace as well. The first one is we simply need to be willing to talk about it. That, that sounds simple, but sometimes that's the hardest thing to do, right? Is to simply be able to acknowledge that we have a disagreement, that there's something going on that has caused some level of separation or distance between us and someone else. To be, acknowledge our differences and be willing to engage one another in conversation about it is a huge first step in being able to navigate and resolve conflict. The second thing we can see going on here with Paul and these other leaders is that we have to take the time to acquire the evidence before we make judgments about the situation, right? We need to make sure that we understand the background and, and what the other person's experience is and what their perspective is before we make a judgment about their perspective or the choices that they've made in their own lives. And then the third thing is we have to then pause and together acknowledge, God, where is God in the midst of this? God is at work, and if we make God the priority and understand where God is in the midst of this, it allows us to modify our own perspectives so that we can hopefully somehow meet in the middle somewhere where God would want us to be united, which leads us to the fourth point is that we need to work on Christ's priorities as opposed to our own priorities. Focusing on the things that unite us as Christ, in Christ and working together on those things allows us to overcome the, the differences that we have that maybe aren't necessarily from Christ in the first place. In this process, I'd like to suggest for us this morning that it's important that we have to be careful and how we discern which parts of our own faith and our own perspective on the Christian life are related to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and which parts of our own experience are merely our expressions of that faith in our own cultural context. Because the same gospel, as we've said, can be lived out in many different ways in many different cultures. You can wear, uh, you can wear shoes on Sunday morning, or you can come to church barefoot, and we can worship the same Christ, Right? And yet in many churches around the country in the United States, you might, as a pastor, you might get kicked out of the sanctuary for wearing shorts and, and no shoes on Sunday, right? But is that a gospel thing or is that a cultural thing? We have to be careful in how we discern what things come from Christ and this gospel message and what things are culturally relevant from our own context. See, we need to understand and begin to see how varied the church is, the capital C church, around the world, and understand how different Christians are from person to person and from culture to culture. Because as we look throughout different parts of the world, we recognize that people worship God in different ways, but it's the same God we worship. It all depends on the context in which we come from. 
I was a history major in college, and one of the things that you have to learn as you study history is you have to learn sociology a little bit. And one of the things I learned early on as I studied sociology is this quote, is that the person who knows only their own culture knows no culture. Think about that. The person who only knows their own culture knows no culture. Why is that? Well, it's because we're like fish in the water, right? The the water is just the atmosphere that we live in. They have no idea what it's like to live without water in air, and we who live in air don't know what it's like to live in water. But once you uh, jump into a lake and try and breathe underwater, you recognize really quickly it's a very different experience, right? It's the same with our cultures. When, when we only know our own culture, we just assume that our experience and what we see and what we feel and we believe is, is exactly what everybody else should think, feel, and believe because that's all we know, and so we assume that that's right and true. But when we begin to experience other people's perspective and see things through their eyes and hear their stories and understand their backgrounds, we begin to be opened up to a whole new world of how God works in the lives of people. We begin to see and to learn to value how different people can do life and can do faith in different ways. And we avoid the risk of mistakenly assuming that our own perspective is the only one and is, of course, the right one. And the same is true of our spiritual lives and how we do church as well. That's one of the values of mission trips. How many of you have been on a a mission trip in your life? Right? I remember the first mission trip uh, I went on was uh, to Mexicali, Mexico. And I went with a bunch of high school kids, and we went down, and we slept in a dirt field in tents for a week, and we went out to all these different churches in the community, and we did VBS, and we did construction projects. We played soccer with the kids. And, and we'd come back together in the evening, and we would have kind of a rally, and we'd have some worship, and we'd have a speaker. And I remember one night sitting there in the dirt, recognizing the poverty of all the people down there in Mexicali, which is right across the border from where we lived in Arizona at the time. And the speaker said, do you recognize that the way that the people here in Mexicali live is the way that 75% of the world live? And the way we live in the United States is the way less than 25% of the world lives. And I began to have this aha moment because as a kid, at that point, I had only known American culture. And I had not really thought about the fact that most of the world does not experience life the way we experience it. And I began to recognize that, man, there's a lot of people who are experiencing not only life, but experiencing Jesus and Christianity in vastly different ways. And that's one of the values of mission trips is that we can expose ourselves to different people from different cultures. In fact, in our student ministry program, we're not even calling them mission trips anymore. We're calling them service and learning trips because we're going to serve others in the name of Jesus, but we're also recognizing that we're there to learn from them. We don't come as the, 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 the imperialistic Christians who come to give our great gifts because we have all this great wealth, right? We come to serve maybe with some of the wealth and the resources we have as American Christians, but there's so much we recognize now that we have to learn from people who have a faith in Christ even in the midst of deep poverty, in the absence of the comforts that we have, and yet they have a deep joy and a faith and an experience of Christ that, that maybe we don't have. And so we can not only serve, but we can also learn from them as well. Even though the way they live together is different, the way they worship might be different, the way the songs they sing might be different, even the language they speak is different from our language. We recognize that it's the same Christ that they follow. It's the same spirit that they share in their hearts. It's the same gospel that they preach. And it's the same love that they have for one another. 
our kids this week in VBS, uh, we're learning some of these same lessons that we're learning as we go through the letter to Galatians because they were studying the actual life of Paul and understanding how his experience of the risen Christ not only transformed him, but, but shaped this gospel message that he was preaching. The main points that our kids learned this week is, number one, is that if you want to know who God is, find out more about Jesus. If you want to know who God is, find out more about Jesus. You see, the grace of God in Jesus, as we've been saying in this Freedom Series, is always our starting point for the Christian life and for knowing who God is. The grace of God in Jesus is our starting point. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. God's love is available for you. And we've been saying over and over, there's nothing you've done that will make God love you any less, and there's nothing you can do that will make God love you any more. The grace of God in Jesus Christ is all we need and is always our starting point together. The second thing our kids learned is that we can see God in our love of others. God's Spirit allows us to love one another beyond our own human capacity to love. And because we are led by the Spirit of God in us, which is Paul's whole point to the Galatians, we fulfill the righteous requirements of God's laws by how we live out that love with one another. And as we do so, other people can begin to see God working in us. Which then leads us to the third point that our kids learned about is that really it's not about me. Right? And that's a tough one for us in, in our American, individualistic, you know, self-help culture. It's not about me. And it's not about you. I mean, if we truly have given our lives to Jesus Christ and recognize the, the sacrifice that he's made for us, he's purchased us with his blood. We now are his, and everything that we are and do becomes about his mission, his heart, his goal. You see, it's not about me. It's about what God is doing through me and through you to share this good news message with the world around us. Therefore, our focus is always on what God is doing in and through our lives. Even in the midst of differences and conflict and misunderstandings, if we focus on God as our priority, it helps us to overcome those differences and find ways to move forward together. The fourth thing our kids learned on day four was that Jesus is the only way because he rose from the dead. See, it's not some philosophical argument that Christianity, it it makes the most sense out of all the other religions in the world, right? It's that Jesus proved his teachings. He is who he said he was. He demonstrated that he was right and good and true because he actually rose from the dead. He's the only one in history that ever overcame the ultimate adversary, which is death, right? When we understand that Jesus is first and foremost in our lives because he is the Lord of glory, he is the risen Christ, he is now the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In our church, we find the ability to unite together in him despite our differences on how to live out the Christian life. Whether we should worship with rock music or classical music, whether we should uh, you know, preach in suits and ties or wear shorts and, and no shoes, all of those cultural differences we can work out together if we have Christ as the Lord of our lives and understand that he is first and foremost in our hearts and in our life together. And ultimately, the, 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 the Bible then, the fifth point that our kids learn, is our guide to know how to do that and to do that well. See, we always turn back to the Bible as God's word that that he's given us, not as some rule book that we have to follow. No, Paul would be saying that's like going back to the Old Testament law if you have some set of rules that you're supposed to follow. Cindy said over and over again this last week that the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. (laughs) 
right? It, it, it's not a rule book. It's a guidebook. It, it's, it's God's word to us to help us know how to navigate life together in this new reality that we have his spirit in us and he's called us to become the hands and feet, the body of Christ in the world. The Bible teaches us how to live in the freedom that we have in Christ. And so we always go to the good book to learn how to do that well together. Ultimately, we have to say that conflict is not desirable, right? We don't want conflict. We don't desire conflict. We don't want to pursue conflict. But we also have to say that conflict is inevitable, right? I mean, I always say, if you get two people together, you're going to have conflict, right? Wherever two people are, you have two different perspectives. You have two different opinions. You have two different wants. You have two different needs. There's going to be conflict if you have two different people. Well, if you put 100 people in a room together, imagine how much you multiply the opportunity for conflict, Conflict isn't desirable, but it's inevitable. And what we have to understand is that conflict, being inevitable, isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes we can learn to navigate conflict in a healthy way that allows us to change our perspective, to grow in our understanding by by forcing ourselves to put ourselves into other people's shoes, to understand what their needs are, and to, to be willing to sacrifice some of our own wants and needs in order to find a better middle ground together. We can actually grow and become stronger if we're willing to navigate conflict together in healthy ways. And in this, I'd like to suggest this morning as we wrap up, we can learn from the example of the Apostle Paul and this story he tells about how he navigated conflict with these other church leaders in Jerusalem. How we can live together more effectively as a church and in all of our relationships together. Because while we might not have conflict today, just wait for tomorrow because conflict will come, right? And so we need to prepare ourselves now. We need to prepare our hearts now for how do we navigate that conflict and not shy away from it, but enter into it with the hope that on the other side of conflict, we will be greater and stronger and better together because we're pursuing Christ and his priorities and not our own. So number one, by, we do this by acknowledging our differences, right? We've got to be willing to talk about it. Number two is we, we gather evidence and, and gain understanding of one another's experience before we make judgments. Number three is we seek God first in our relationships and we make him the priority, which then ultimately leads us to pursuing Christ and his priorities over our own wants and preferences. See, if we're willing to walk this simple process that the Apostle Paul shows us in his own life and example, we begin to listen and learn as Christians as we serve one another. And we begin to grow and to change in positive ways on our spiritual journey together, knowing that the gospel message that came from Jesus to those men and women all those thousands of years ago is the same gospel that we too are free in Christ Jesus today. It remains the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we can put our faith in that and live together in the freedom that that provides. Amen? Let's pray. God, we do thank you for the freedom that you've given us. Help us to understand that our own cultural experiences might not be the only way to live out the faith, but might be a part of how we simply have given expression to our faith in our city, in our culture, in our church. God, as we open the door to navigating conflict together, would you give us grace and patience for one another? Give us the courage to ask good questions and to find out accurate information before we rush to judgment. Help us to make God the priority in our lives, to make you our priority so that 
we are pursuing the things that are most important to you and living out this good news message that you've given us in Jesus, that we have your spirit in us and that you have called us to be your people and to share this message with a world that is in desperate need of love and mercy and grace. And we will thank you and praise you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, Kurt, I, I don't know about you, but in this expedition this past week, I actually wore out my hiking boots. Yeah, yeah. And rather than just tossing them, they're going to go for souls for souls as well. Awesome, that's great. So, uh, and they actually don't need those tree things in them. They're, they're not too bad. <laughs> okay. Not good, but not too <laughs> right. bad. Yeah. Excellent. Um, I was uh, foolish um, and indicated I would help VBS any way they needed me. <clears throat> I was blessed to be able to help with the fourth grade B class, and it was an absolute joy. Um, Gretchen kept me honest, and we teamed together with Gabby and or Maddie and had just a great time. So thanks for sharing your kids, your grandkids with us. And they had the blessing of their lives by hearing the good news of Christ. Amen. And it's because of your gifts that our Vacation Bible School takes place, as well as all of our ministries. Thank you. Now, if you're a guest with us today, we're going to be receiving our offering. Feel no obligation to give. This is something that we do as folks who consider Faith Covenant as part of our church home. So thank you for that. I invite the ushers to come forward to receive our gifts and our offerings. And as the ushers do come forward, we're going to, uh, we're going to sing a song about God being good. And, uh, and I ask the students all week, how often is God good? How often is God good? All, all, the, time. all the time. And God, God is good? All, all the time. All the time. God is God good. God is good. We're going to sing a song that tells us a little bit about that and, uh, and moves us into a place where we can, we can just sing about God being good. So sing with us when you're ready. God is good all the time. He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good. light will shine. God is good. God is good all the time. God is good all the time. He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. Through the darkest night, His light will shine. God is good. God is good all the time. If you're walking, if you're walking through the valley and there are shadows all around, do not fear. He will guide you. He will keep you safe and sound. He has promised to never leave you nor forsake you and his word is true God is good all the time he put a song of praise in this heart of mine God is good all the time through the darkest night his light will shine God is good God is good all the time if you're walking 
Here we go. If you're walking through the valley and there are shadows all around, do not fear. He will guide you. He will keep you safe and sound. He has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And his word is true. God is good all the time. He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. Through the darkest night, his light will shine. God is good. 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 One more time, God. God is good. God is good. All the time. Amen. God is good all the time. Amen. We are excited about what God is doing in Faith Covenant Church in the lives of our kids from VBS, and we are hoping that you are excited about how God is working in your life and in your family and in your relationship. What is that? Okay, so we were so busy this week that we thought it would probably be a good idea to clone ourselves because we need so much help. Oh, no, that sounds scary. I know. I made a Katie Tron 2000, and she's run amok. Oh, no. I know. I have her arm here, so it's pretty easy to spot because she's missing one of these. But I guess I have about a year to fix it. I I guess so. Hopefully we can find her soon. I know. So all of you guys join me for VBS 2018, and hopefully we'll have found her by then. Okay. I got to go look for her. All right. Okay, I got to go. Look forward to that. Anybody see? Gadgets and gizmos. All right. Find her. Where is she? Thank you for being a part of VBS Sunday with us. I invite you to stand and be sent out with God's blessing. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, so that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Go in God's peace. Whenever you're ready. Praise Him in the morning, praise Him in the evening. Praise Him when you're smiling, praise Him when you're breaking. Praise Him in the sun and praise Him in the starlight. Praise Him every season, praise Him through the dark times. Celebrate, celebrate, shout it from the mountaintop. Celebrate, 